It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Friday, Howard. How are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Hey, we're doing great. You know, covering the hottest team in the league is not so bad, as it turns out. <laughs> I imagine that uh, has its perks. I imagine people are, are in a pretty good mood, jazz-wise, these days. Yeah, you could certainly say that again. Uh, Howard, want to start out today's conversation. We ask you a lot about Donovan Mitchell, but asking you about Donovan, he had another big-time performance against Boston on national television. And what kind of statement do you think he's he's making to the NBA world as a whole? Well, you know, obviously at a time when everybody's considering their all-star ballots, it's certainly a well-timed breakout kind of performance, and especially national TV against another, you know, high-ranking contending. I, I believe the Celtics are a contending team, and then also to do it without, you know, Mike Conley available, and then to kind of, um, you know, fill whatever you know gap there is there. I mean, it, it certainly makes an impression. I'm not one who believes that any given game or a national TV game is like definitive when it comes to all-star selection or MVP. I know there are people who think like, oh, you need a statement game. You need to have. And I think that there's like, there's, there's something to that in that um, there are games that more people are tuned into than others. You know, there's a, there's a lot of games in the season and you know, it's, you're going to, you're going to miss a lot of them um, as a fan or as a reporter, uh, and and maybe even people across the league. But when you're on a national TV game or on the TNT game, the ESPN games, it, it brings a different level of, of attention. And, you know, can that enhance a guy's reputation? You know, I, I, I think probably. Um, but I don't think too many people, you know, the, the, the people who know already know what Donovan Mitchell's capable of. So I don't, I don't know that he needs to sell anybody on it. And for the Jazz, look, it's as we've discussed before, it's all great, but ultimately all these guys are going to be judged collectively and individually by what they do in the postseason. We know they can have a strong regular season. It's, it's still, as it is for a lot of teams, it's not just apply to them, but it's, it, is, it is definitely about what you do in the postseason. Howard, all that being said, as we watch this team, and we watch it closely, as you would expect, we're seeing – we're seeing advancement with it. We're seeing things that we haven't seen before. For instance, I don't know if you're watching the end of that that Jazz-Boston game, but Donovan absolutely took over that game and did so confidently with a purpose, led his team, didn't do everything himself, although he made some big shots. He was spotting his open teammates and getting them the ball. And I mean, it was a lot of good things going on with him, but also Rudy Gobert playing at a higher level. Uh, and the team as a whole playing at a higher level, playing aggressive brand of basketball, they're, they're, and a strong performances off the bench led by Jordan Clarkson. There's a lot of stuff happening on the reg with this team, and that's what makes us think that, hey, maybe this advancement really is uh, authentic. I don't think there's any question that it's legitimate. Um and I think we, we talked about this a little bit last week, you know, about, you know, I, I want to see what they do when they, when they start playing the top teams because um, there's some that they hadn't seen yet. And Boston is, is, is in that, that category, so that's a great win. Um, 
they've got some others coming up here. I think a couple games against the Clippers, uh, the Lakers, the Sixers. I think the is it the Bucks are next tonight. Um, yeah, yeah. So so that's like that stretch of games is going to tell us a lot. And that's I'm not saying like if they go 500 against those teams, suddenly it's like well there's there's the hole in the, in the balloon or, or the crack in the foundation. Um, I, I don't think we, we should um, put too much on it. But those are important games. Like that, those are the ones, and the Boston game is one of them too. So they've already, you know, we're going to talk about statement games. That was a statement. But Lakers and Clippers, those are the teams that we all know that you have to go through if you want to win the West. And so those those do matter more. What how they do it now? Even if they lose those games, I'm not saying like if you lose that means you can't beat them in the postseason, or if you win that means you can beat them in the postseason. It's more how do you play them, and. How do they deal with LeBron? How do they deal with Anthony Davis? Um, like that's like that is going to be really interesting because they've established that they belong in the conversation. They've established that they should not be overlooked as a potential contender in the West. But you still have to show how you're going to deal with the, te- the teams that we already know are elite that we're, that we already know have the potential to go all the way because the Lakers are the defending champs and the Clippers already we knew had the talent to get there. Uh, they just kind of couldn't get out of their own way last last summer and you know they're another team that looks a lot better this season howard want to ask you about tonight's opponents for the for the jazz the bucks um they come in at 16 and 9 a game and a half back of um the pay or excuse me the uh the 76ers in the eastern conference philadelphia who the jazz face on monday by the way but uh they've won seven of the uh let's see seven of their last 10 games howard their point differential on the season is plus nine and a half and since the Jazz played them the last time at the beginning of this stretch, they've played much better. Uh, what what has been the difference with this Bucks team? Uh, why have they seemingly clicked in the last couple of weeks? Well, you know they they you know made a pretty significant addition, bringing in Drew Holiday. You know a couple other small tweaks to the rotation along the way. Um, I don't know that it's any one thing. I, I think you know like a lot of teams, it's just we're still you know, kind of early in this choppy season. And, and, you know, I think it's just taken them some time to, to find a rhythm again. Like they've been really, really good, um, but they don't seem quite as dominant as they were the last couple of regular seasons. I don't know if, that, if there's anything in particular to attribute that to. I think their defense is maybe a little bit off of where it was. But, um, you know, they're, they're not a – there's nothing about the Bucks that they're going to do in the regular season I think that's going to raise any alarms uh, – or, or, or change our perception one way or the other. Um, you know, we know who they are. Um, they're, they're, the core is still intact. Their style is still, you know, the same as it's been. And, you know, um, we'll, we'll, you know we'll, we'll see where they end up, you know, ultimately. But I, I think, you know, the, the Bucks' identity is pretty well established. Howard, one of the few opponents that have really kind of made the Jazz look bad, and it was back before their current uh, success, but uh, a few weeks ago, they played the Nets, and Kyrie just tore them apart. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what your snapshot evaluation is at this present time with what's happening with the Nets and what their potentiality is. You know, the, the Nets – they're they've got this swagger of a team that expects to be playing the finals and certainly has a talent too and has the star power too. 
and yet as we talk, they're three games over 500. They've not been dominant. They're you know they're they haven't had the, the their big three together that many games, right? Because Kyrie had missed some time, and Durant had had you know was you know stuck in COVID uh, protocols again. Um, but like the, their their deficiencies are, are are glaring, and it's mostly about their defense and their depth. And there are times when they're playing their stars a ton of minutes, and so I'm not entirely sold on them. Um, I, you know, if, if 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 they're at their best and those three stars are are in sync and they have been more often than not, they're impossible to stop. That that's great, but they still have to stop the opponent at some point, and they're they're not great at that. Now, can that get better over time? Just by being able to spend more time on scheme and being able to read each other and, and, you know, defense is so much about, especially in today's NBA, it's so much about being in sync with each other, but personnel matters too. They don't have enough size. They don't have enough plus defenders period. And, you know, two of their stars have been known primarily as minus defenders. So um, I, I, I think that the Nets have a lot still to, to prove. Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Howard, sometimes these narratives that come and go in the NBA world on seemingly a daily or weekly basis uh, make me chuckle. And it seems like the the latest one with LeBron has been, uh, are they playing him too many minutes? And because he's played 40 minutes plus in three consecutive games, I believe two of which uh, went to overtime. And Anthony Davis has been missing time. So it kind of makes me laugh just because, you know, uh, LeBron is LeBron, and he's seemingly superhuman. And I guess my question to you is, it, it, LeBron's durability, is that undersold when we talk about his greatness? It seems pretty amazing that he has just been an Iron Man that shows no hope of or no, you know, uh, signs of slowing down. Yeah, I, I, there's it, – it's, it's – um, there's no exaggerating. There's no overstating – there's no hyperbole when it comes to assessing what he's doing right now like, because there's no precedent for it. I mean, at his age, 18 years in, it's, it's incredible. And I don't know if we'll see it again. I don't know how much of it we can just attribute to the advances in medicine and training and uh, you know, nutrition, everything that, is, that has developed over the last you know, 20 years um, that these, uh, today's athletes get to take advantage of. I mean, even look at, at what Kevin Durant is doing, having come back from Achilles, at an injury that has often been kind of a death knell for careers, and what John Wall is doing coming back from the Achilles, for that matter, too. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, at some point we have to kind of recalibrate expectations, whether it's about age or injury recovery, just that, that the, the medicine and the training and the knowledge that they have now, um, I think, can benefit guys in a way that we just we don't expect because we're, we're used to – you know, a certain framework. You get into your 30s, and they're, they're going to start to tail off. And by their mid-30s, and especially their late 30s, that's it. You're done. LeBron is defying all that. Now, part of that is that he just may be a freak of physiology. And a lot of that is also his dedication to the game and how conscientious he is about his body. Um, but, you know, I think some part of that might just be, you know, you know, just good genes, maybe. Some, some good fortune, possibly. <laughs> um but it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing what he's doing at this stage. And other guys have been really good, you know, late in their careers, but not, not dominant good, not MVP-level good. And, and he's, I think, a legit front runner for MVP. We mentioned earlier, uh, Howard, that the Jazz will be facing the 76ers coming up here pretty quick. 
And it makes me wonder, how do you think that matchup between Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert will go? I mean, Embiid's just been on a roll, nearly 30 points a game. Uh, How do you think that's going to go? Embiid's just a handful. I mean, he just wrecks people. I mean, these are this, this is a strained analogy, but I think back to Shaq, right? What Shaq could do because he was he was so incredibly big, so powerful, um, and and also athletically, he was never given enough credit probably for how just um, light on his feet he was too, and as for his footwork, but he was powerful, and nobody else was quite built like him, and so Dikemi Mutombo who sometimes is analogized to Rudy Gobert. I don't think that it's, again, not a great analogy. It's not it's not a direct one. But Dikembe was a great big man uh, defensively, a great shot blocker, obviously, great in the paint, and, and, and somebody who, against most other centers, was going to be able to, 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 to hold his own and be effective, at least make somebody more, you know, make them less efficient, challenge them. I think Rudy Gobert can challenge Joel Embiid, but Joel Embiid, his just his strength and his agility and his, the 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 ability he has to score from a variety of places, he has the advantage. Like Rudy Gobert is a great defensive center who who makes the Jazz elite at that end because of of uh, his his ability to to guard both near the basket and out in space, but. Guarding Joel Embiid is a different challenge entirely. And so, yes, when we talk about all the different challenges that are still upcoming for the Jazz, like that's one of them. Like, how are they going to deal with Joel Embiid and the Sixers in general? Um, that's, you know, Embiid has the advantage there. There's no question. And Embiid is, is great defensively in his own right, too. So um, uh, that, that game, you know, that particular matchup will, is, is one to watch. Howard Bradley Beal has uh, is having a great year. He's scoring a ton of points, but he's he's seemingly made it adamant that he wants to stay in Washington and not be traded. Does that surprise you? And and why do you think he wouldn't want to look to find his way to a contender? It does surprise me, um, only to the extent that I think his frustration has been so evident that you would think the next logical thing would be it's time to try something else. It's honorable on some level that he wants to stay and that he still believes in that franchise. But, you know, they, they've been stuck in, 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 in kind of just, you know, treading water or not even treading water. They've been, you know, dipping below and practically drowning for the last couple of years. I mean, it, they're not it, they're not only not making progress, they've been going backwards. And, uh, you know, Bradley Beals, you know, I think 27 he's in his prime. He's, he's a great player. He hasn't been able to, to show it in the postseason because that team hasn't had the talent around him. So I think he'd be totally justified into saying that it's, it's time to move on. And I think that both he and the Jazz could benefit from that because they could probably get a, a really great you know, deal back for him. Um, and he'd have a better chance to contend somewhere else. But if he wants to stay, like, I mean, that's, who, who, it's, not, it's not our place to tell him where he should, you know, what's best for his career. Um, so we'll we'll see if that holds. We'll see if that stance of his holds, and we'll see if the Jazz, excuse me, the Wizards can find their way to um, to building better around him. And if the problem is like you know they've got so much tied up now in Westbrook salary wise that if, if Westbrook is is you know is as much in decline as he appears to be, you know unless somebody breaks through, unless Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia become all stars in the next couple of years, I just I don't see where the Wizards path back to respectability is 
So it, that's a that's a steep challenge for them, and it's a pretty big leap of faith by Bradley Beal to decide I'm going to stick it out. You know, that's a really interesting discussion, Howard, about how players should feel about their franchise, whether they should try to build where they are, or at, at what point do they say, ah, get me out of here. Jake asked me this question yesterday about Damian Lillard in Portland, you know, and it makes you, I don't know, I don't know whether to admire the guys who say, no, I'm staying where I am and we're going to build from here, or to uh, to think, no, man, you, you can do this, you can move somewhere else if you want, go, if it's going to make you happier, and I don't have an answer for that, and, and I, I, maybe what you just said uh, shed some light on that, but uh, do you have a strong opinion one way or the other? Well, I would just say in Lillard's case, that's a team that has been in the conference finals within the last couple of years that has, you know, competed at a high level that has had, you know, some degree of postseason success. Whereas in Bradley Beal in the Wizards case, you know, it's been much bleaker. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're right in that, you know, Lillard's another guy who if if you woke up one day and thought, you know what, I keep hitting the same ceiling. I got to I got to do this somewhere else like it would it would be somewhat justified. It's way more justified, I think, for Beal, given where they've been. But I just think that what we what we all should kind of uh, come to understand after the last ten years, and by you know ten years I mean going back to and it's almost eleven years, going back to LeBron and the decision and leaving Cleveland for Miami. Every player, every star, it's 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 different for some of them. The the best thing for them or the thing that will make them most gratified is to stick it out, stay with one franchise, see through the tough times, and try to be part of the solution. For other guys, it's it's you know what I've 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 burned a bunch of years of my prime and I can't afford to wait and I don't have faith in this franchise. And by the way, some of these franchises don't deserve their faith. And that's the problem with this our old quaint notions of loyalty that have guided sports discussions for some so long. Loyalty to what and to who? Because some of these owners are really bad. They they either don't invest or they make terrible decisions or they're too impulsive or they're too meddling. There's a lot of <laughs> There's a lot of bad owners in this league, and then there's a lot of bad front offices often employed by the bad owners. And so if, if a guy decides to move on because he's lost faith in that organization, that's probably justified in most of those cases. Um, not always, but a lot of times. And so that's why I think people shouldn't be so quick to judge when a guy decides to, to change uh, his, his scenery, to seek out you know, a different team, a different um, – different coach, different organization, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, I'd like, I'd like to live somewhere else. I want to live somewhere warmer, or I want to live somewhere with lower tax brackets. Who knows? Um, but that's their call. And so, you know, it, it's, we don't always necessarily understand all the, all of the, the, um, the, the psychology and just the, the weighing of what's going to make them happy. It's not for us to know all the time. Right, we're this is not our lives; it's theirs. <laughs> but we try to make sense of it as best we can, and you know, uh, ultimately, each guy's going to make the decision that that he feels is best for him. And, and if Bradley Beal thinks it's best for him to stay, as I say, I, I don't necessarily understand it. I think he'd be justified in going somewhere else, but I, that doesn't mean I'm rooting for that to happen. I, it, it's it's uh, it's his call. Howard, your your answer there has sparked a question in my mind, and I, I apologize because I'm going to kind of ask you about a different sport in a weird way. But player empowerment in the NBA has definitely been a, a thing over the past, you know, 20 years, probably going back further. In fact, I think it'll be one of LeBron's lasting legacies that he le- leaves on the NBA is the the power that 
he's kind of returned to the to the players and the NFL is going through that a little bit. We're seeing all these quarterbacks, Howard. I don't know if you've kept up with the Russell Wilson thing. Probably not. But uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston, these quarterbacks kind of flexing their muscle, maybe want to get out of their current circumstance. But that hasn't been a thing in the NFL. Do you think that other leagues are watching what's happened in the NBA and maybe some of these players in the NFL are thinking, you know what, I carry that kind of clout too. Maybe I can, can get what I want and leverage my value. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any insight on the NFL side of it, but I do think that um, LeBron is an icon, not just other NBA athletes, but the athletes across, you know, all the sports. Everybody, you know, looks to him and looks up to him, not just what he's done on the court, but the way he's leveraged his his celebrity or leveraged his um, his media company, his ability to, up, you know, uplift other athletes. Like, that's – they follow his lead. And I do think that it's it's inevitable that that you know athletes in the other sports will seek to dictate more about their own careers. Uh, it's a little different than the NFL in, in that you know you know the NBA everybody's got a guaranteed contract for the most part. You know, 99% of guys, maybe 98%, whatever it is, fully guaranteed. There are fewer players. Um, there's fewer players per roster, and there's also a handful of guys who can just dictate everything because they're they're just such elite talents. You know, the NFL, you know, you know quarterbacks obviously have outsized uh, influence because of, of of their importance, but um, but it, it is it is different. There's just the structure of an NFL roster and, and the way the NFL salary cap works compared to the NBA. I just I think that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it translates entirely. I don't know if they can um, do exactly what NBA players have done in, in terms of the player empowerment and, and dictating terms of their careers. Howard, there's an elevation that comes with certain players, uh, the great, the great players, and we were thinking about this in, in regard to Tom Brady, back to the football reference. But it applies to guys like LeBron too. I mean, it, it's not fair because he's physically the most gifted, but he's also extremely mentally tough. And that combination is what makes champions. Uh, I know you probably minored in psychology in college, right? (laughs) Uh, No, but keep going. But, but Howard, have you ever examined the mental side of these players and what their attitude is? Because LeBron, here LeBron is just barreling straight ahead. It's almost like it, he, he doesn't sit there and think, you know, I look at what I've already done. It, it seems like he still has this strong hunger to, to achieve more. And uh, that's pretty rare, isn't it? I mean, do you think that's common in the NBA? I think that it's common amongst the best players. I think that's part of why they became the best players, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, who, as you guys know, I covered for seven years, was never satisfied with, you know, one championship, two championships, three championships, five championships. You know, Michael Jordan obviously had that drive. LeBron has that drive. But I think, you know, there are plenty of guys who haven't won who have that drive. You know, Damian Lillard clearly has that drive. But it it varies. It's like with anything else. Um, And there are players in this league who I think, you know, like it's – they're just they're happy to be there on some level. They they love the lifestyle. They love the the, the, the money. Um, they like to play, but not everybody's built the same way in terms of the need to win or the need to perform at the highest possible level. Some guys are just driven to an insane degree, 
And and you you know who those guys are in part because again that generally means it's the best players and that's you know it's it's not just the players who are like you can find other guys who probably had um, the general build of a Kobe Bryant or even I know Joel Embiid it's hard to say because he's a seven footer there aren't that many seven footers in the world but still there have been plenty of seven footers who came through this league Eddie Curry maybe six eleven but Eddie Curry people thought was going to be the next Shaq because of his combination of, of, of size and, and uh, strength and, and great, you know, just, just uh, uh, you know, agility. Um, but Eddie Curry didn't have the drive and he was out of the league, you know, way prematurely. Um, but he had the talent, he had the talent to be, you know, a perennial star. So it just, it, it just, it, it varies. And, and somebody like LeBron, you, you just, you, you know, you could always see this in him. That there was, you know, no, no, nothing he achieved was going to be enough. He wanted to be one of, the, you know, he, he wants to be the all-time great. Um, and I think on some level he believes he's already gotten there, but he knows that there are plenty of people who don't believe that, and so he's got to keep doing something more. Howard, thank you very much as always. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks, fellas. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Howard. That's our friend Howard Beck, uh, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Of course, uh, catch. He has a podcast with another one of our daily assist guests, Chris Mannix, and uh, those guys are just terrific.